Well, my wife wanted me to mention that uh, uh, she really wishes she could be here. She's home with the uh, sick kiddos, which has been abnormal for us. They've been so sick recently. Um, but she wishes she could be here. The kids wish they could be here. And uh, I I'm, I'm truly am uh, sorry that they're not able to be here. I like it when they're here. And um, I, I want to make mention of that. I also want to let you know that, you know, they they want to be here. It's not that they don't want to be here. But unfortunately, when you are a preacher, uh, you cannot stay home with the kids. So uh, she she's not able to be here. She has to uh, worship online with other congregations and, and whatnot. But uh, she, she truly wishes to be with the brethren here. And uh, she wanted me to make mention of that uh, before... Uh, got started tonight. Also, uh, a couple other things. Uh, the uh, I'd mentioned this morning about people who are interested in doing follow-up studies. I had um, uh, one person uh, that wanted to do it in addition to uh, myself and the elders. Uh, and so um, if, if you have, uh, we're, we're looking for nine uh, other people, uh, nine other men, uh, to be able to do some follow-up studies with uh, new Christians. So if you're interested in that, uh, let me know. It's going to be there's going to be some material provided for you, uh, so you wouldn't have to come up with something on your own, and it would be very structured. Um, but if you're interested in that, please please let me know. And also, as a side note, um, uh, I have uh, been blessed by the congregation here uh, to have uh, already received fourteen hundred dollars. Uh, towards uh, the mission trip to Guyana. Uh, that leaves me just $600 shy of what I need. Uh, and so I'm very thankful for that. Uh, I'm, I'm still giving opportunity to the congregation. If you'd like to, to support that effort, I'll be glad to uh, talk with you. And, and, um, and thank you personally if you'd like to support me. Uh, also, I, I'm, gonna, I'm just putting this out. I'm leaving the congregation open to, to giving more uh, before I have to write other congregations to ask. I want to give the benefit uh, to the brethren uh, here first, and I mean it that way because Paul meant it that way. You know, he he uh, he noticed in time past when certain congregations and certain brethren that he worked with, he he worked with his hands instead of allowing them to pay for his needs and to support him, and he's and 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 he. Uh, made sure that he explained to them that he regretted that and uh, wished that, that they uh, had um, uh, supported him in, in his uh, way. And so if you have that opportunity and you'd like to do that, please uh, please let me know. Uh, I'm, just as part of this lesson, i I got to really explain something. Uh, I guess the more you get to know me, you're going to realize that I really did not I really don't have a high um, uh, view of myself when I was a youth. Um, matter of fact, I think I was pretty dense. Um, and it, it, and you know, maybe you're still thinking, "Well, Matt, you're still pretty dense." I don't. But uh, I was then. I was really dense in that case. But you know, you think about the the passage Ephesians four twenty nine says, "Let no corrupt communication." Uh, proceed out of your mouth. Now, I recall when I learned what foul language was. Uh, I recall uh, being very concerned 
uh, about the use of four-letter words. I remember my parents telling me, you know, Matt, you shouldn't ever use four-letter words. And so my dense self thought, there are a lot of words I will not be able to use in my vocabulary now. Now, what did they mean? They didn't mean, you know, don't ever use the word good because that has four letters in it. They meant there are some words that typically have four letters that you do not need to use. That's foul language. I recall uh, one time being in worship and one of my friends, his younger brother, was only two or three and probably had been watching things on TV he should not. And during a prayer, blurted out an obscenity, and which was quite an awkward scenario for the family. I remember also hearing a story of, a, of a, uh, someone I hold very dear to me that when they were young, they had, been, uh, they had just started going to public school at the age of five, and they came back with all sorts of flowery language. Uh, flowery language. So they, they got in trouble for that. But we know that Colossians 4 and verse 6 says, Let your speech be always grace, seasoned with salt. So we need to speak things that are good. I understand that. Um, but tonight, I want to teach you some four-letter words. I want to tell you some four-letter words that you should teach your children and grandchildren. These are four-letter words that are, are good to teach. Number one is this. W-O-R-K. Work. Work. You know, this is one of those things that I think, you know, in time past was something that had been taught for a long time. And then I don't know where we've lost our way, but somewhere in the society we have a lot of people... I will have to say my generation is a big part of that, where they don't want to work. They don't want to work. Genesis 2 and verse 15, Adam was told to keep the garden. He had a job to do. He had a job from the, you know, isn't that interesting? He didn't get on this earth just to have uh, nice and peace, harmony and whatever, you know. He was told to keep the garden. It was hard work. You know, I, I have not done a whole lot of gardening, but what little I've had to do, which was what my grandparents made me do, you know, it was hard. It was difficult. You know, so from the beginning, we see signs of, of working. And then Genesis 3 and verse 19, uh, the, the commandment was given to them that they were then going to have to eat bread by what? The sweat of their brow. They were going to have to work and work hard. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now see, that's where this becomes very important. Not only should we be working as in just doing everyday things, number one. Maybe you work around the house, whatever. Maybe you have a job. All those things are important. But see, if we have a negative reaction to the word work, how do we ever expect to work for the Lord? Hmm? 
If we are lazy people, then we're not going to be the kind of people that follow God. Because the kind of people that follow God know how to work. In 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 10, If a man shall not work, neither should he eat. Now, I, I've heard of people that they, they, they get on, on food stamps and they do this and that. And, you know, I realize that there are some legitimate needs out there. I realize that. But I have also seen through benevolence work people who have abused the system, who have decided that they don't want to work. And so they don't have a job. They get on welfare. They get on food stamps. They do whatever they can not to work. And then, guess what? Those people who pay their taxes, you're doing the work for them. Now, um, I I, I know, I, I try not to get into politics too much here, brethren, but you know what that's called? It's called socialism. You know what? You... You have people that don't work, and then other people do the work for them. That's socialism. You know, does that sound fair? No, when, when there's no need, that is not fair. Now, if there's a need, then, then that's right and good for us to work in order to take care of the needs of others. That's good. But when that need is not there and there's an abuse to the system, brethren, This is the point. If they don't work, they shouldn't eat. Benjamin Franklin was quoted, and I have never actually been able to to find this exact quote in anything that he had written, but he was quoted as saying uh, that if you want to make a man, um, get a man out of poverty, you know what you need to do? Make him uncomfortable with his poverty. So if you're just giving and giving and giving, you're only aiding him. If you want him to get out of poverty, he needs to be uncomfortable with it. If a man should not work, neither should he eat. 1 Timothy 5.8, man doesn't provide. If a man does not provide for his family, what does the scripture say? It's worse than an infidel. He, if he's denied the faith, as a matter of fact. So, men, what are we to do? We are to work for our families. We are the providers. Now, one of the common things that's more common than it used to be anyway is that, that you, you have this idea of the, the, the um, husband who stays home. You know, you got the, the house dad, whatever. Let the woman go off and, and, and do her thing, and she brings home the bacon. Now, uh, first of all, I'm just going to have to say it straight. I don't know any other way to say it. But if I were in that situation, I would not feel like much of a man. What good am I? Now, there may be people who feel like that is the best thing that they should do. Maybe, maybe it is for them. But they're not Christians. Because a Christian man is going to provide for his family. Because 
See, if he does not do that, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. I don't know any other way to say it, brethren. You know what? We can't give our children everything that they need. You know, I mean that they desire. We can give them what they need, but not what they desire. But we need to teach them to work for things. Now, you know, there there are, are things that we make our children do, you know, in general. What do we do? We make them do chores. Hey, you need to pick up your toys. You need to put your clothes in the clothes basket. You need to take out the trash, whatever it is. Now, it's this is this is Matt here. My opinion is when it comes to that, my kids don't get paid for doing chores. That's called being part of a family. You don't get paid for being a part of a family. Now, if you want to go above and beyond, you want to go out there and you want to clean out the car, you are welcome to it, and I will give you some money for that. But that's it. You don't get paid to be a part of a family. Now, wouldn't that be nice? Uh, You know, as a parent, wouldn't that be nice to get paid for the things that you're supposed to do anyway? You know, it it is a job. But you know what? It's not a paying job. We need to teach our children that in order to uh, to to get get something in life, get their financial needs taken care of or desires taken care of, they have to work for it. The next word is this: G I V E, give. We need to teach our children to give. Now, we can talk about this in several different manners here. Obviously, we already read the passage tonight, Ephesians 4, verse 28, that you know we're to work to give. That is the job of the Christian. The Christian is to work in order to give. So we are to be giving people. But we have to be taught to give. Because... Giving is not something that you just kind of catch like the cold. You don't just get it all of a sudden. But you have to be taught to do it. If you're not taught to do it, you're going to have a harder time catching on to the idea. Think about the ultimate gift. John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave... He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What about 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7? I guess you probably thought we would go there. God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, You know what the word here for cheerful is? Uh, The word is hilaros, which is where we get our word hilarious. Now, Obviously, it doesn't mean the same thing. We're not going to be laughing hysterically when we're giving. But the idea is there that we are going to be extremely happy to give. That when we are writing that check or we're pulling the money out of our wallet, whatever we decide to do, that you know we're not doing it grudgingly. We're not going, oh, I don't know, I don't want to do this. No, we're happy to do it. We should be happy to give. You know, if we teach our children to give... Think about where the church will be years from now. 
We need to teach them to give. Another word that we need to teach them is L-O-V-E, love. We need to teach our children to love. In that thought, let's go to the love chapter, will you? 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. It says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not its own, is not provoked. Taketh not account of evil. Rejoiceth not in unrighteousness but rejoiceth with the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they shall be done away. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall be done away. Now, while I look at this passage, I have to remember something. God is love, right? So if God is love, then God fits the description given right here. All right, let's, let's read this again, but let's, let's put God in here. Instead of love, let's put God. So verse 4, God suffereth long and is kind. God envieth not. God vaunteth not himself, is not puffed up, doth not behave himself unseemly, seeketh not his own, is not provoked, taketh not account of evil. Rejoiceth not in unrighteousness, but rejoiceth with the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. God never fails. God is deity, right? Christ is also deity. So could we not put Christ here in this passage? Let's read it again. Verse 4, Christ suffereth long and is kind, Christ envieth not, Christ vaunteth not himself, is not puffed up, doth not behave himself unseemly, seeketh not his own, is not provoked, taketh not account of evil, rejoiceth not in unrighteousness, but rejoiceth with the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Christ never fails. But brethren, we are Christians. Each and every one of us in here, we're Christians. That means that we're Christ-like. So what if we read this passage putting ourselves in here? Does that change the meaning for you? Let's everybody read this passage with me. I'm going to put my name here. You put your name there as as you're reading to yourself. But verse 4, Matt suffereth long. And is kind. Matt envieth not. Matt vaunteth not himself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave himself unseemly. Seeketh not his own, is not provoked. Taketh not account of evil. Rejoiceth not in unrighteousness, but rejoiceth with the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things. Hopeth all things, endureth all things.
Matt never fails. When you read that with your name, did you fit that description? Did you fit it? I hope you did. You see, brethren, it does not matter how much good that we do if we don't have love. It doesn't matter how many times I come to worship if I don't love God. You know, it just doesn't matter what we do in life if we don't have love. What about our love for the brethren? Do we... Do we have love for the brethren? In John 13 and verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. No, that's not new. This is something that's already been taught. What do you mean, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another? No, the, the kicker's here. Even as I have loved you. So, the idea is, is very simple. We are to love each other as Christ loves us. And Christ gave himself for us. I hope when you read that passage, 1 Corinthians 13, I hope you see your name there. Another word that we need to teach our children is this. P-R-A-Y. Pray. You know, I was always impressed as a young man, a younger man. I got it. So I was always impressed when I was, when I was little, just looking at these guys, that they could pray and say these, these beautiful prayers and oh, all my... Um, my uncle Kenneth, man, he could say these great prayers, and and uh, and I, I've, I've had a, uh, other relatives that I looked up to. I had an uncle Frank that he also, man, he, he led some great prayers. And I just, man, I just think about these men, and I, and you, you've you've had those too, right? That these guys that they get up and they they pray these beautiful prayers, and and, and they they said just the right words. And the things that they prayed for, that just it was just so thoughtful and it was so beautiful and the, and the prayer was compassionate. And I know that you know what I'm talking about. I, I love that. But the question is, is not, do I pray like that? The question is, do I pray? I might not be the most eloquent person to pray. But you know what? I need to pray. And furthermore, do our children, do they hear us pray? Do they know what we care about? You know, uh, one of the hard things about being a father, I think, when it comes to being Christian fathers, is praying. Because you know, if when you when you you get in a rut, you get in a rut, and sometimes it's hard to to think about anything else. You know, dinner time comes, and you start to pray. Everybody's hungry, and you know the kids are wanting to get started. So you, you say a prayer that is basically memorized. 
But prayers don't need to be just memorized. They need to be heartfelt. Your children need to know how much that they mean to you when you're praying to God. Your children need to hear the things that you are concerned about for maybe their sake. And you know, if you pray in front of your children, they're not going to have to go and ask how to pray. Because they're going to know. Philippians 4 and verse 6 says, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Brethren, teach your children, teach your grandchildren to pray. Number five, O B E Y, obey. That one's a difficult one, right? You know, you know that one's difficult for a lot of different reasons. Not just because you might have an unruly child, but there could be a point in time when, as a parent, you're thinking, "I don't want to deal with this. I just don't want to deal with this any longer. I, this is." You know, and you're kind of to yourself, and hopefully you don't say this out loud, but you're kind of thinking, I'm just going nuts here. I can't do this. And so, you know, what you got to do in those situations is you have to take a step back. You have to calm yourself down. And you got to think about what the greatest good is for your child. And if they are doing something wrong, it needs to be corrected. Now, um... The earlier we do this with our children, the easier it will be in the long run. But if we wait until later on, until they start getting into their teenage years, we are going to be fighting an uphill battle. Children need to be taught to obey. In Hebrews 5 and verse 8, speaking of Jesus, it says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things... Which he suffered. Seems to me, brethren, that um, the Lord was even reprimanded as a child, right? And he was taught what to do and what not to do. You know, there are things that are logical to us that are not logical to children. You know, uh, we, we have a, a fire pit. And my, my kids, they like putting stuff in there. You, ever, you know what Timothy's reaction was the very first time that he got around that fire pit? I'm pretty sure he wanted to jump in that thing. He, he, he looked at it. There was something nice and sparkling there, and he wanted to jump in. Well, he saw us putting in firewood, and he thought, well, I'll do that. And he got a little too close, and then he backed up real quick and thought, oh, I don't need to do that. Think of other scenarios. Think about the oven. The oven doesn't quite look that way, does it? But children will oftentimes, when you're putting things in, they'll want to come over there and they want to get it. Now, you might go over and you might say, no, don't do this. No, don't do this. No, don't do this. Then you spank them, whatever. Whatever your process is. 
You spank them, and then, you know, they get upset. But you know what you're doing? Ultimately, you're protecting them. Now, when it comes to that, we understand that really easily. What about when it comes to behavioral problems? You know, they're doing something they ought not to do. We tell them no. They do it. We need to spank them. We need to reprimand them in a way that they're going to remember. And then, you know, when you do that, you know, what's going to happen? They're going to remember, you know, maybe they mean business about this. Maybe maybe it is. Now, I know that there's that there's that kid every now and then. I know I've got one. But there's that kid every now and then that does not respond to spanking. Well, then you have to be creative. But brethren, whatever you do, teach your children to obey. You know, question, where do children learn to obey God? Where? From the parents. Ephesians 6 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You know, brethren, if, if we don't teach our children to be obedient, you know, we're, we're going to have some difficulties. You know, if we, if we te- don't teach children obedience, then when kids hear no, you know, it's not really what they're hearing. They're hearing, well, that means maybe. I'll just keep asking until mom and dad give in. And if we don't teach our children to obey, then we don't need to be surprised when they don't obey their teachers, they don't obey the elders, and they don't obey law enforcement. You know, I'm going to give this, and I hope this does not upset anybody. But there is a a problem in society, and it is a psychological one. Problem is, too many parents count to three. You You know, some children maybe it works on, I don't know, but most children it does not work on. You know, what what happens? You know, child gets in trouble. Then what do we do? Hey, you don't need to do that. Don't, nope. One, two, two and a half, two and three quarters, and then three. And then at three, you reprimand them somehow. After a while, what happens? This is called operant conditioning. You have just taught them You don't mean what you say the first time. Matter of fact, you don't really mean what you say until you reach three. Now, to us as adults, that may not be a big deal. But to children, they start working the system. I knew of a uh, a parent that did that. And uh, they they got uh, their children. They they would they wouldn't do anything until it got close to three, and then they'd run and do whatever. And so then they realized that this was a negative aspect of their parenting, and they decided that they'd change it. And so they they continued to think about that process of counting the three, and then all of a sudden they one day they just went one two three, 
caught the child completely off guard. And at that point, they, the child realized, I cannot wait as long as I used to. And so it put them at a state of a little unease there, and they decided it was time to obey. You know, um, I am not criticizing anybody's parenting style. I, I'm, I'm just trying to help uh, from what, what you know, I, I've seen, and, and, uh, and that's something I've seen personally. But brethren, the fact of the matter is we need to do the best we can to teach our children to obey. And that's the bottom line. If we don't do that, our children may not grow up to be Christians. Our children may become Christians and fall away. We need to teach our children to obey and especially obey God. And if we teach our children to obey God, they're going to obey. Because obeying God means obeying parents. Because obeying God means to obey the uh, rulers, the people that have authority. Teach your children to obey God. Last but not least is the word T-I-M-E, time. We need to teach our children the value of time. You know, you, you, you hear the, the phrase, time flies when you're having fun, right? You, you, you know, you've been there, everybody's been there where you've done something and all of a sudden, that did not take as long as I thought it would. And you realize, oh wait, no, it took quite a while. I just haven't been paying attention to the time. I've enjoyed this, whatever, you know. But... We also need to give them the idea of not to waste time. Not to procrastinate. I, I understand. Sometimes procrastination sneaks up on you. I understand that. But that's not the goal. In Ephesians 5 verse 16, it tells us to redeem the time. What does that mean? The word redeem actually literally means to buy back. Redeem the time. We need to redeem the time, brethren. We need to take advantage of the opportunities that are given us when we have those opportunities. Now, something that I uh, I have enjoyed, I don't know if uh, uh, you've seen this, but uh, I've, I've heard of a, a, this thought that a person said here recently you know, I am my future self's best friend. You know, I want to take care of my best friend. And I'm going to do everything I can to make my future self happy. And so when it comes to doing some chores, I might be tired, but I might think, you know what? My future self would really appreciate it if I did this. And I didn't wait and let them take care of it, but I took care of it. You know, my, my future self should really like me. Is that the way we look at life or are we going to procrastinate? See, because what happens when we procrastinate? 
things pile up. Our plate gets too big. And then other things happen in our lives that kind of set us on a course that we wish that we could just turn away from. Do not underestimate the value of time. Because you know what? For all of us, time will end sooner or later. And we need to be ready for that. Satan uh, and his minions were meeting one day. And Satan was talking to him and he said, you know, uh, we need to figure out a, a way to keep people from obeying God. How do we do that? Minions were coming up and they're saying, you know, all sorts of things. Well, you know, well, let's let's just tell them that there's no God. No, 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 we've done that. We've told we've told them there is no God, and they know that. I mean, you know, look at look at the world around them. That's what Romans one twenty says. So you know. They understand that God is here. He's seen in His creation. Well, why don't we tell them that there's no hell? Well, you know, that, that's, we're kind of working in the right direction, but, you know, still they know. They know that there is, there is a hell. They understand that. And so, you know, that's not really going to do it for them. And one of these minions spoke up and said, well, how about we tell them the truth, but tell them that they've got plenty of time. How many people believe that there's plenty of time? And how many people find that time has run out? How many people choose to fill their time with other things? Now, I, I know I give a lot of examples about this, but I, I, uh, I learned a lot when I was a youth minister. And one of the things that I learned was I was working with the congregation and I was scheduling youth events and I scheduled a couple during the week. I scheduled one on a Friday night, matter of fact. And uh, this was after football season in the South, so everything should have been good. And yet some parents, they, they got upset. They said, well, we only want to do things on Sunday. All right? Don't, n- n- don't schedule things on Friday. We're not going to come to these things. And I said, well, that's okay. And they continued to get on to me about scheduling something on Friday. And I said, no, wait a second. You're getting on to me about scheduling something on Friday, but you know what? I've never heard you say anything about that baseball coach. Never once. Can you believe that he scheduled a practice on Wednesday night? No, I've never heard that. And yet, you'll skip and take them. But Friday? At the end of a week? When kids are just out having fun? You don't want them to be with a group where they can have fun in a safe environment. How many people choose to fill their time with other things? Not necessarily that they're bad things. The problem is that they just don't leave time for the Lord. Brethren, let's value our time. 
Let's value our time together. Let's value our time on this earth. And let's value our time in service to the Lord. Maybe it is that there's someone here tonight that you know that you are in need of uh, repentance and maybe you've not yet become a Christian. Whatever the case, if there's someone here that needs to respond to the invitation tonight, please come as we stand and as we sing.